Well, this episode of Juice Crew Radio is brought to you by my favorite juicer ever, the TriBest Green Star Elite. Contact us at support at juicecrew.com for your Tribe discount package. And the Juice Crew certification program, Why Not Live Your Passion, showing others how to get lean, energized, and healthy with juicing. Find out how at juicecoachtraining.com. Welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello and welcome to Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve. Today we've got Ira Israel, author of the How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult, A Path to Authenticity and Awakening. We're going to hear all about that, how we can progress as adults right after this. So grab a juice, some tea, some water. We'll be back right after this with Ira Israel. Did you know you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today? The Juice Guru Certification Program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time. Find out more at juicecoachtraining.com. And welcome back to the show. We've got Ira Israel, author of How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and so much more. We're going to hear all about that in his journey. He graduated from University of Pennsylvania, holds advanced degrees in psychology, philosophy, and religious studies. And he gets his message out to people all over the world. And best of all, he's here with us on Jusco Radio. Let's welcome to the show right now, Ira Israel. Hi, Steve. Thank you to be here. Ira, thank you so much. Congratulations on the book. This is really important, important teaching. Thank you for getting this out uh, late last year. Well, I, it all came together like so organically. So it was very simple to, to write. And it's been a pleasure to be meeting all the people I've been meeting uh, after having written it. Well, let's talk about it. Like what led to this book? Because we all hold on to a lot from our childhood. Can you talk about how that manifested for you and what led to getting this book out there? Well, I noticed that there were epidemics of depression and anxiety in our culture. And as I state in the book, I don't think that there's some rogue gene that's just affecting Americans. So why don't we take a look at uh, all the things that we consider to be normal, whether it's our school system or capitalism, the way we work, the way we have intimate relationships, the myth of romantic love. And let's see if those things like our lifestyle is causing um, these epidemics of depression and anxiety. And the statistic is that there's 23 million Americans who take antidepressants every day. And so when we look at that <laughs> and we look at our wounds and whatever it is from childhood, whatever it was that we experienced, what's happening? Why is it that we have a hard time moving the needle forward as adults? So the central premise of the book is that as sentient beings, the one thing we want above all is to be loved unconditionally. And we grew up in this crazy society that only gave us tools to gain love conditionally because we're sexy or we're rich or we speak well, or we went to good schools, things like that. So America functions like a giant resentment factory. The one thing that correlates strongly with happiness is intimate relationships. That's the only real thing that correlates strongly with happiness. And yet there's no schools for how to, there's no classes in our schools for how to have uh, intimate relationships. So I, I really want to take a look at, again, all the things that we consider to be normal, the way we interact, our languaging, the way we raise children, things like that, and, and see, you know, where this negative self-talk, where all this, um, this stuff that goes on in our minds originates from. Because, you know, as I say in the book, no baby was ever born with the thought 
uh, I'm, I'm terrible at this. Like I, uh, I'll never amount to anything, you know? So, you know, let's take a look at our school system. Let's take a look at the way we raise children and see if, uh, you know, there's some sort of way that children are assimilating this, the, all this terrible negativity. Fourth grade, Mrs. Zarrow, Prusak, you're a buffoon, you know, what is it from these childhood that still haunts me, Mrs. Zarrow, if you're out there? What is it with these childhood? Uh, what is the self-talk? Where is it coming from? Is it our parents? Is, was it from friends? And how do we overcome it? So my theory is that we develop a false self, a facade, to try to get our emotional and psychological needs met the best we can as children and survive our childhood. And we should be ecstatic about whatever way of being that we created. And that way of being is primarily um, an amalgamation of defense mechanisms, right? So, um, I don't know. We really have to look at all the things that make us who we are. And again, it's, it's really what I think is a bundle of defense mechanisms just waiting for stimuli. And, and we have to make better choices about who we want to be in the world, really, because the, the tools that we learned when we were seven or 14 years old were fantastic for getting us through our childhoods. But now that we're adults, I, I, my theory is that they're probably hindering us from getting the authentic, unconditional love that we really crave as adults. So what's the, what are some of the steps we can take to start overcoming you know, I mean, I guess the first thing is the awareness of where right. some of this bad self-talk or negative self-talk comes from. But then what's the next step? So for me, we have to look at how we became inauthentic. Um, and and um, I go through the first chapter of the book, Deconstructing Authenticity, meaning um, uh, there's a way of looking at it colloquially, psychologically, philosophically. And I'd like to break those down. And I hope that it, when you read the book, it was funny because, you know, for authenticity... Uh, authenticity for many of us means, you know, thinking, we, we think, we say our thoughts in our head. And that's, uh, that can only, that'll probably get most people into prison uh, uh, and not much further. So that's not authenticity. So um, what I do is I reconstruct authenticity in terms of attachment, atonement, attunement, presence and congruence in the latter half of the book. So attachment is attachment theory. And the, the, the way this was impressed upon me was I was listening to a tape by Harville Hendricks. Uh, it's called Marriage is the Path to Wholeness. And he says that the subconscious purpose of marriage in America is to enable us to complete our childhoods. Our parents had deficits. Those deficits wounded us. Those wounds became defense mechanisms. And those defense mechanisms became our personalities. And we'll always be attracted to people who can replicate the dynamics from our primary caregivers. So, you know, noticing I'm 51 years old and I'm a psychotherapist, so I work with a lot of couples and I work and then analyzing the, the patterns in their lives, you know. So in terms of attachment theory, there's four designations. The first one is secure attachment. And um, in the original test, which were um, by Mary Ainsworth in 1969 on the strange situation. Your viewers can go to YouTube and watch them. They're, they're incredibly fascinating. Um, she found that 33% of babies can securely attach, meaning that during this experiment, when the, a mother would go into a room with a baby and then leave the, the, the baby, and then a stranger would come in. And, you know, if the baby had this understanding of the universe, like the universe is safe, my mother's not going to put me in harm's way, things like that, 
Then when the mother came back in, the baby would reattach, reattach securely. This was only in 33% of the cases. The other types of, of insecure attachment are the ones that interest me. Ambivalent attachment, indifferent attachment, and then uh, uh, avoidant um, or disorganized. So um, it really behooves us later in life to notice any patterns of how we interact with other human beings and whether we think the world is a safe place or if we turn our back, someone's going to you know, hurt us. Because I think that what babies do is they construct theories and then for the rest of our lives we we look for facts to rise to meet those theories so attachment theory is super important to know and i I think that that's a core component of authenticity the second part is atonement or at one mint meaning releasing our resentment about things we can't change so the mind assimilates traumas and humiliations and things that happen when we're when we're when we're children and it projects them into the future to try to stave off potential future traumas. Um, it does this by developing resentments, expectations, fears, prejudices. And there's only one way to be able to get rid of those. And that's, I call it atonement, but the tool is forgiveness. And there's a beautiful um, quote by Lily Tomlin that explicates this better than I could ever do. She says, forgiveness means giving up all hope of having a better past. So our mind, is, our mind is trying to make our past better, right? And by, by being successful today, they're trying to recreate things that they can't change. And the joke I make in the book, it's a title chapter. If you saw your, one of your, if you saw your partner uh, on the couch trying to shove a square peg into a round hole, you'd stop her. And yet this is what your mind does all day long. Your mind creates these woulda, coulda, shoulda, didn'ts. And it's just trying to uh, uh, hypothesize potential things that could come up, but there's no correlation to reality. So um, Eckhart Tolle has a beautiful quote. He says, you either accept your life or change it. Any other position is insane. I really think that that's fascinating. It's a, it's a paradigm shift saying that if you complain about your life and you just sit there not changing it, then you're insane. So atonement, cleaning up the past so that you can show up for the present authentically as possible is the second part. The third part is attunement. And that's, you know, why I love being in the same room with another person or having lunches or dinners or throwing a Frisbee, because we need to know how to connect with other human beings. I think we've lost that art because of text messaging and instant messaging and things like that. And what I say in the book is that mirror neurons do not fire by a text message. Meaning that there's something that goes on with, with, when, when we empathize with each other, when we're sitting in the same room where our emotional experiences are validated and it does not occur via text message. So the other joke I make in the book is I say, one hug equals one million Facebook likes. You know, because we're always checking our devices to see, oh, I put up this thing on Instagram or Snapchat, the, how many likes did I get? But that, that really... It's not a good way to judge your score, your life, and you should know that you're not going to get your emotional needs met. So knowing how to attune with other people is the third component. The fourth component is presence, meaning that the past no longer exists. It's dead and gone. The future doesn't yet exist. So you need to learn how to just still your mind and be in the present moment. Um, and the tools that I espouse are yoga and meditation, and I teach them at, at the Esalen Institute where I teach. And then the, the final component is congruence. 
And, you know, we're living in this incredibly privileged time where we get to decide who we want to be. We get to decide what we want to look like. It's like the most luxurious, safe, wonderful time to be a human being. The vast majority of human beings who walked on planet Earth never reached 40 years old. Uh, 3.5 billion people are living on less than $1.90 a day. You and I, were living a couple miles from the beach. We can get a lovely coffee. You know, our lives are really privileged. So the final component is congruence. And that means um, deciding, like, who you want to be and the life you want to live. And the, the, the quote that begins the book is by Andre Gide, who says, it is better to be hated for what you are than to be loved for what you are not. So again, to summarize, we create a false self to survive our childhoods, and we don't have to be upset about that. If you were the sarcastic guy in high school, you can just stop it at 25 years old and say, wow, that's really interesting. I was the sarcastic guy, and that's how you know, people knew me, and that's how I was successful, and I, li- I was liked. But now that I'm 25 years old, I see people kind of like uh, walking away from me because I'm always joking around. So, you know deciding who you want to be and then deciding the life you want to live and then getting the tools that will keep you at the high end of your happiness spectrum. So that's, to me, that's the book in a nutshell. Uh, Authenticity is attachment, atonement, attunement, presence, and congruence. Love it. The book, How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult by Ira Israel, available at amazon.com, bookstores worldwide. And you can check it out at his website at iraisrael.com. We'll have the notes at the Juice Crew Rewind under the video and up on Juice Crew Radio. Uh, you'll find the, uh, the links to that too. I re- so it's interesting when we look back. So, I mean, we, we hit an age where we are authentic and then we start getting into relationships, the influence with the outside world. And then we start to shift and change based on the feedback we're getting. And we become, by the time we're out of college or even, you know, maybe before, we become something that maybe we weren't to begin with. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's very interesting to me because what I find is most um, consciousness raising is is often tragic in some ways, whether, um, you know, um, it enters our consciousness that people die or, you know, our our hearts can be broken because people uh, would reject us. And those type of things um, cause us to, to really look inside and find some inner truths. And then, and then for me, you know, most human beings are on autopilot, you know, and, and what I'm trying to do is, you know, get people to really understand the way their mind is built and what it's designed to do, and then uh, make the healthiest choices for the long term. You know, and it's funny, I, I, there's a joke in the book, I say, nobody wants it to say work really hard on their tombstone, you know, and yet when you hear all the conversations when you sit in cafes in, in my part of the world, everyone's crazy busy. Everyone's running from this and that and traffic's so terrible and there's complaining and this is happening with their children. And it's, a, it's, it's really interesting the things that people choose to focus on because those are not the things that engender happiness. You talk about if we give up resentments, mm-hmm. often we might not even know who we are anymore. Can you uh, talk a little more about that? Yeah, I think it's uh, resentments are like life rafts in the ocean, I say, in the book, because um, we, we cling to them. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a great um, quote that everyone's heard. Uh, it's attributed, to, the first one's attributed to Carrie Fisher, but it goes back. Um, resentment is like poking yourself in the eye and waiting for someone else to go blind. Or resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to get sick. Get sick. So resentment, the definition for me is 
wanting anything to be different that you can't change. And anything in the past, you can't change. So if your mind says, oh, I should have gone to Yale, or I should, my parents should have got divorced, or I, I, my whole life would be different if uh, my dog hadn't been hit by that car, if that person hadn't broke my heart. These, you know, this is all um, fiction, you know, but that's what your mind does. It doesn't, it, it really doesn't want to just look at what's, what's here and accept it. So, um, yeah, the resentments are resentiment in French, re is, is again, sentiment is sentiment. So you're feeling things today about stuff that's 30, 40 years old. So for me, the way I like to deal with patients is. And, and I don't do psychoanalysis. So, you know, maybe I'll take 30 minutes or an hour to develop a narrative to help the client develop a narrative about who they are. You know, very simple stuff like, oh, my father was aloof. My mother was emotionally withholding. You know, I've been attracted to these types of people my whole life. Or this always happens to me with jobs. Or I have this pattern. Or I'm passive aggressive because of this. Or I have a fear of this. And it's just about, it could be dynamic. But it's really about just getting some cohesive understanding of, of like why you developed into who you are today. And that's, and, that, and that's what we do in psychotherapy. So really it's about letting go of those should-haves because I know I'm guilty of that. My wife's probably watching right now and it's always should-have. I, I wish back in fourth grade I was drinking juice instead of McDonald's because uh -huh. then I would have been smarter and I would have been all over the place. I always have that resentment. Is that, you know, do you ever look back and say, I wish I had known what I know now back then because maybe I would have taken different choices or different paths? Everything that, every second of your life that has hitherto passed has gone into making you today. So you, if you can't change it, you have to accept it. So it's just folly to say, yeah, if, you know, if you had been juicing since you were eight years old, that might have led you down another path where at 14 you were hit by a car and you know you could never run again so like you have to you're here today and everything that's that's transpired up until now made you who you are so it's so you know that's it's uh our, our minds do this crazy thing where it, they want to there's a beautiful quote by rick hansen uh he says you can't pull all the weeds in the garden but you can plant flowers so your mind wants to go back and do that crazy thing like in that film um eternal sunshine on the spotless mind and like take out like milliseconds and, and little things, little things. But you have to, you know, the, the, the quote in the book uh, in the, one of the last chapters is from Nietzsche who says, um, if I can, if I, if I, I won't give you the, um, the Cheryl Strayed quote because it's a little vulgar, but, to, but in terms of her accepting her whole life, in the, in the book Wild, it's really just so amazing. So um, Nietzsche wrote uh, in Echo Homo, he said, on this perfect day where everything is ripening and not only the grapes are becoming brown, a ray of sunshine has fallen on my life. I look behind me, I look before me. Never have I seen so many and such good things together. Not in vain I buried my 44th year today. I had the right to bury it. How could I not be grateful to my whole life? That's awesome. So like really what we're talking about here is embracing life. And is that how we're doing it by getting into the present? Yeah. There's a beautiful quote by, uh, Eckhart, by, uh, by Shakespeare um, when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are coming up to Hamlet. He says, there is nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. 
right? Your mind decides like, oh, this divorce, it's going to kill me, or I got fired from my job, it's the worst thing ever. And then 10 years later, when you become a famous, whatever you become, you were like, none of this would have happened if that guy didn't fire me, <laughs> or, you know? So, you know, I, I, I always talk about His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and I was sitting with him in Seattle at a compassion conference, and someone asked him, who's your greatest teacher? And at the, the answer is super obvious, it's Buddha. He's the, you know, the leading figurehead of Buddhism in the West. And uh, he turned to the audience uh, and answered the question, who's your greatest teacher with the Chinese? who killed two million of his people. So, you know, he learned from that experience. I sat with um, Eitan at the Kabbalah Center 20 years ago, and he said that, he asked this crazy question, which will probably, I don't know how it'll resonate with you, but he said, uh, what did the true Kabbalists do in Auschwitz when the Germans led them out to shoot them? They danced. They danced to thank God for giving them hatred to overcome. There's, you know, the glass is either half full or half empty. You, you know, you're, you and I are more privileged than 99% than of any human beings that have ever walked the face of the earth. Just having a roof over our heads and this technology and food in our belly. So, you know, it's up to us, uh, you know, the way we want to see our lives. It's beautiful messages. So, one of the chapters in here is how to avoid being a professional child. What do you mean by that? So there's a quote by Jacques Lacan. He said, language thinks me. So if you believe that language creates reality, then you have to be impeccable in the words that you choose because you're creating the way you see things and the way you interact with other people. So that makes a distinction between children and adults in that Children are willy-nilly. They just say whatever they say, and they don't have like a, they, the, the same understanding of reality. So being a professional child is like showing up late, uh, drinking too much, just, just not understanding that you're constructing your own reality. And because of the, the language you choose and the way you choose to, to frame your life for other people. So um, on the one hand, you know, look at me, I'm 51 years old. I got uh, hair like a teenager. I tell, I'll, I'll joke around and tell people I, I'm a professional teenager in some ways. So it's not like, you know, it's not uh, fatal. It's wonderful to have a childlike sense of wonder for your whole life. And I'm, I'm the most curious person in the world. I go to a museum every couple of weeks. I go to the symphony. I'm just like fascinated by everything. I, you know, I want to take it all in. But, you know, you can't be childish, which means irresponsible, drive drunk, do stupid things. So that's, that's the distinction. And so, uh, yeah, I hope people are not professional children. You also teach about the myth of romance. Can you mm. explain that a little to our, our listeners? So there's a wonderful book by Denis de Rougemont. Uh, I think it was written in 49. And then Robert A. Johnson um, updated it in a book called We. And um, so what they theorize is that Romantic love as we know it is esoteric to Western civilization. It's about 750 years old and it, it comes from the myth of Tristan and Itzel. So the knights of um, that era, they were there to protect the damsel in distress, the, the, the maiden. And in this case, Tristan was um, uh, sent to get Itzel and bring her back because she was already betrothed to his uncle. But Broomhild gave them this potion which gave them unbridled passion 
for, depending on which version of the myth you read, three months or three years. So it's fascinating to me because we're the first culture, every other culture in the world always gets married for one reason, uh, financial. Like a father says, hey, I have two goats. And he goes up to the neighbor and says, I have a sheep and a pig. Why don't we have our kids get married and we'll be all richer. That's why most people get married. So we're the first civilization that, I don't know how your audience will receive this, we get married for lust, essentially. You know, we think, you know, everyone says, they talk about chemistry all the time. Everyone's talking about chemistry. And it's basically like, do I want to have sexual intercourse with this person or not? And then we, if we think, you know, oh, we have, we have great chemistry, we have great sex, like, well, we should, we should get married. And, you know, in the book, I'll ask questions like, what's the relationship between sex and love? And, you know, there's a whole chapter, the whole part of it, I'll say, if Martians came down from another planet and went in front of our computer and put sex into Google and saw all the things that came up, they would think that we're very confused. Right? Because we, we, we have all these things going on in our head. Well, it means this if she does this and if he does this. And we have all these semiotics revolving around dating, mating, gender roles. And, you know, they're all in flux right now. The joke I make in the book, I say, if you, <laughs> if you told my grandmother 40 years ago that there would be transgender bathrooms, that gay people could marry, that marijuana would be legal and that a black man would be president, she would have laughed you out of the room. So like we have to be on the, you know, the, the other quote in the book is, um, I don't know who discovered water, but I doubt it was a fish. So we're living in this evolving um, civilization and society and we can't see how much it's changing so, so, so quickly. And what I'm trying to do is get people to be those fish and, and just look at us and say, wow, this is amazing. You know, all the things that we consider to be normal, asphalt, root canals, IMAX, in 500 years, people are going to look back on us the same way we look at burning witches, leeching people, feudalism, you know, like, like this is all going to be junk you know it's a you know so like but we're here in it and we're even seeing you know just if you try to explain what an iphone was 20 years ago it would be incomprehensible and in 10 years people are going to look back we're never gonna we're not gonna have iphones we're gonna have like little devices i was told in our hands and then the screens will just pop out into the air and we'll be able to manipulate them that way that's well, the that's next not true because i used to watch the jetsons and elroy had that uh <laughs> an eye watch and I watch. I know our whole life is based on the Jetsons. Like we're talking to screens on the wall. Like, could you please right. microwave that now and do my dry cleaning? I love it. Um, so this is phenomenal. Again, we're going to take some questions before we close out, but it's how to survive your childhood now that you're an adult by Ira Israel, really teaching us how to get more in the moment, be more present, let go of those past voices that are just holding us back. And I mean, how many people really, Ira, how many people just spend their life you know, reliving those wounds and don't really progress at all. Yeah, it's a funny thing. I, I get a little animated when I teach this thing. And when I see people in disbelief, I'll say, okay, everybody raise your hands, uh, you know, and I'll go ahead, you raise your hands like this, right? So on the count of three, I'd like you to clap last Thursday. You ready? One, two, three, clap last Thursday. You can't change the past. What does it do? What good does it do complaining about it? I mean, you just have to say, you, you know, this is who I am today. And moving forward, I want my life to resemble this. You know, we all have 
scars, the whole individuation process is very traumatic. Just gaining that understanding that our parents are not going to always be there to take care of us. Um, you know, some people are really kind of mean in the schoolyard and they're going to torture you and life isn't going to work out the way, you know, you're taught it's going to work out if you watch the movie Pretty Woman when you were 18 years old. You know, like it doesn't, it's not, it's it, all the stuff that we learn through popular culture. And, you know, the, the joke in the book is that we live in this culture that one of the most important inalienable rights is the right to pursue happiness. And that's a surefire way to misery. Happiness is a byproduct. It is not something you can aim at. If you aim, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, you're never going to be happy. Happiness occurs when it's least expected. And what I do is just give you the tools that'll keep you statistically, scientifically at the high end of your happiness range. And one of them, you know, you're, you're a guru of, which is eating correctly. You know, if you're, if you're sitting around eating McDonald's four times a day, you're gonna, your, your whole disposition is going to be completely different from someone who eats what a human body should be taking in. Good point. And when you look back at some of those stumbling blocks, whether it be that bully in the schoolyard or whatever it was, whatever challenge we had or what we're, we might face in the future, do you see these as lessons, opportunities to grow? Because sometimes they repeat themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, everything is a, is a lesson. I mean, you can believe that the universe is conspiring, whether it's a car accident or getting fired from your job. You know, there's a beautiful, I really, my favorite way of expressing this is what Carolyn Mace said. She said, you either co-create your life with spirit or bad things will happen. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, a new understanding of, of instant karma in some ways, but the universe is speaking. And that's why I put so much emphasis on the word vocation in the book. Voco in Latin means calling. And that's not a passive thing. That means that the universe is giving you information. You have tastes, you like art, you don't like violence, you like this, you like this type of food, things like that. And you have to be able to sit and take yourself off of autopilot and all the crap that you learn through pop culture and say, who do I, what do I really, who am I? Like, what is the universe telling me? What do I really love? You know, and, and then you have to, you know, have the personal integrity to be that person. Again, Ira Israel here with us at Juice Radio. Ira, anything to say before we leave our iHeartRadio audience? Anything we didn't touch on or that you want to communicate to our audience? This has been really transformative. So thank, transformative is such a vague word, but it's really been enlightening, so thank you for being here. But anything to say in closing or any final words of wisdom for those just, you know, tuning in and trying to get it right this lifetime? I was teaching mindfulness in Boston a couple of years ago, and there was an older gentleman, a drug counselor, and I was talking about... Um, I don't know whether it was the eternal recurrence or something regarding Buddhism. And he came up to me and he said, uh, a guy called him and he said, Hey, uh, I, I want to take you out to lunch. You saved my life 20 years ago. And this drug counselor said, sure. And they go out to lunch and the guy tells him all these things that he's been doing for 20 years and the company he built and he has his family and all this incredible stuff. And then the drug counselor turns to him at the end. He goes, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, don't take this personally. I don't, I meet a lot of people, but I don't, I don't really remember meeting you 20 years ago. Can you tell me like what happened? And he said, well, I was at my lowest low and I walked into a meeting and you put your hand on my shoulder and said, you're going to be okay. 
And that's what saved his life. So the lesson is, every moment of your life, every interaction, you could be saving someone's life or they could be saving yours and you might not know it. So just show up as your highest self at all times. Ira Israel right here on Juice Crew Radio. Ira, thank you so much for being here. We're going to take some questions from our studio audience, but right now we're going to go off the air from iHeart and also we'll leave the Facebook stream. If you're on Facebook and you have a question, type it in now. But Ira, thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you for having me, Steve. Thank you very much. It's been phenomenal. Uh, I'm Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juiceguru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.